This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 109, Sardak Nor, Strategy Guide. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hunter, happy what? Tuesday. Are you having a good Tuesday? How's oh, yeah. Your Tuesday Great looking? Tuesday. This is a wonderful Tuesday. <laughs> Nothing's up. Uh, just a regular old Tuesday like y'all. Things are going smooth. Everything's smooth. turning up Millhouse. This is just the, the easy peasy day that easy. I always wanted out of a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, glad to be getting this episode out on time with no issues. Yeah. Yeah. No issues. Anyways, let's just get into it. Let's so start <laughs> at going. <laughs> How how fitting that we had technological difficulties on the week of the Sardak Nor strategy yeah, guide. Yeah, people have pointed that out already. Just like, yeah, is this some this sort of like This is not us having joke? like a lark. This is not like us, you know, having a laugh. This isn't a bit. This is, boy, did we have difficulty getting this one uh, in the can. Right. We're here now. Well, hey, uh, hey, we upgraded your internet, and that's yeah, great. exactly. Yeah, now I can actually stream again. I've been completely unable to be a, like a like a member of the stream team of SCPT, and and we're back on track with that. And uh, hopefully, multiple other things will start to get a little bit better with my fancy new internet. But boy, it, it wasn't cooperating earlier this week at all, and that's what caused the delay. We're sorry that uh, this one took a bit to get out, but. Uh, we're here now, and hey, you know where else we're going to be? Uh, we're kind of excited. We haven't talked about this at all, and it's not even like a crazy announcement, but we're going to PAX Unplugged. It's just yeah. Hunter and I. We're not filming like a tournament game. Uh, we don't even, I only know of, I think there's a tournament that happens at PAX, like a, a, a smaller scale. I mean, it's the same size as Gen Cons, I think, but I, I'm not as familiar with the people who run it. I think we're going to go check it out and just see the people that are there, but it's not as big of a to-do. We're not bringing the whole streaming team. Uh, but we wanted to check out PAX Unplugged and see what's going on there, and then who knows, maybe we can turn it into something in future PAX Unplugged that we start doing some cooler stuff at. But we kind of just don't even know the vibe of it and don't know what kind of stuff goes on there. So we're scouting it out a little, and we want to see you if you're there. Yeah. Um, yeah, please uh, please hit us up if you are going to be at PAX Unplugged. Um, I feel like we have no real plan like yeah. for it, like what right. we're going to do. <laughs> so if if there are people that get a little annoyed that at Gen Con, it seems like we're like completely stacked with stuff because we are every Gen yeah. Con. Or I mean, I'm saying this like we've been to a million of them. Two, we've been to the two. past two, yeah. <laughs> but both times we were like completely busy the entire time. Uh, we have a very open schedule, so yeah. let's hang out if you're that going. That doesn't necessarily that mean we can like, oh, let's go play a game of TI. Like Twilight Imperium is still a long game to play. And oh no, it's a we're convention. not. God no, we're not playing any <laughs> TI. We won't be. We can't play Twilight Imperium and do business. That's yeah. the problem. But we do want to hang out. We want to see people over by the TI Games. And, you know, uh, at Gen Con, we did a fun thing where there was like a little... We didn't organize this, but we went to kind of a fun Discord dinner. Um, so if there's a bunch of people that are going to two packs, uh, you know, maybe we can all go get a coffee together or have lunch or dinner or something. That would be very fun. And we'll we'll have a, a thread in the Discord that'll be like for people to talk about packs and who's there. Just like we do with Gen Con, we kind of have like a meetup forum area. So we'll... 
you know, we'll have all that going so we can figure out uh, what, what all to do and what people are doing at PAX. We're excited for it. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. I've actually never been to Philadelphia either, so that's just yeah, me be neither. like, yeah, just a cool experience. Let's there. go see the American history yeah. of our great nation. Is that where the bell is? The Liberty Bell? That's where bell? the big bell. That's where the big broken big, bell is. Big broken bell, it's called. <laughs> I'm I'm so excited. Well, I think it's I think people have waited long enough for this one. Uh I I'm ready to do some Sardak guide. Uh and by I, I mean Hunter, you kind of took the lead on this one. So it's going to oh, be yeah. a lot of uh, of you kind of pushing the things. We've talked a lot about it. I've I've watched you play them a bunch and been in games with other Sardaks, and we kind of both have our ideas. I think the biggest thing to lead off with Sardak, though, before we even get into the overview stuff, is it's not a great faction, and we need to, like, temper everything we talk about strategy-wise with that idea of, like, they are a bottom-tier faction whatever tier list you're kind of making they are in the lower at the very least the lower half i can't imagine anybody puts sardak in their top half yeah uh well i enjoy playing them a lot and i think they're hard to play um but i i don't know that i agree that they're just like straight up bottom tier no well kind i of, guess it, they're right rickety. depends on how you're structuring it yeah they're yeah. rickety it's interesting to me how much you've come to enjoy them I, I it's not something i expected at all but you you are sort of kind of fallen in love with the bug boys in terms of like how to play them and what what you do with them yeah this time around um i really well and you know what really the so the first time when we did our um our kind of first pass of strategy guides or whatever we even called them i don't know what we called them <laughs> they were they it was dumb whatever we were doing first round strategy yeah anyways sure. um <laughs> Uh, the first time around, I just, they really made my head hurt. Not to the extent that like Muat did, but right. I, I really liked them. I really wanted them to be fun. I wanted to figure out how to make it work because they have a lot of really interesting attributes, basically. Right. And they're very thematic. The fact that they're like kind of the big, dumb, fighty guy at the table. Right. That's interesting. But that's kind of, there's kind of always been a trap with Sardak Nor of people playing them as if they're like a good friendly faction for for new players because right. it's just like hey they're mean they fight let's do it but the problem is that Twilight Imperium is not simply a mean fight game right. uh, so playing a faction like that has some pretty um, pretty bad like ramifications on like how how your game will go basically yeah. if you're yeah, like Sardak I'm gonna fight that's not necessarily gonna work out right and especially for newer players I mean Sardak Nor's uh, like win rates in the the you know the the rankings we talk about a lot that are you know they're they're okay but the biggest thing is it's it's a lot of newer players that fill those things out and so Sardak Nor's ranking is very bad in that in that area because yeah if you if you are encouraging yourself as a new player to just get out there and fight because you're the fighty bugs it almost always falls flat so we have to approach Sardak Nor with a really completely different mindset because we are only given warmongery tools. And this is not a warmonger game, so how do you turn that into victory? Um, so let's let's break down just their component parts, and then go from there in discussing kind of like what we actually are doing with these bugs. Yeah. So give uh, me their give me their starting units. What we so got. starting units uh, is a weird, interesting mix of good and bad. Uh, you've got two C four I, which we've talked about in the past, is two carriers, and in this case, actually five I five infantry, which is you know, the optimum, what you need to go take two systems worth of two planets in the first round. That's kind of like about the best opening anyone can standard op 
uh, hope for. Obviously, you can like pull off crazy stuff to take more, but that's like the best normal opening. Mm-hmm. So they've got two carriers, five infantry. They have one cruiser, uh, and their home starts with a space lock and a PDS. The big thing that they lack is fighters. Uh, lots of factions start with at least like two fighters, and they have none. And this turns out to be a pretty big deal that we will talk more about later. Um, so we actually kind of have gotten to the point where we call it kind of a bad start it's not a very good starting fleet yeah. despite yeah. looking almost like a really good starting fleet it it lacks basically anything to defend your carriers with reliably yeah, yeah. that's what the fighters normally serve as i would say that the key problem is we've got three like i mean it sounds like the we got quite a few things and they're useful things there's only three plastic that we're talking about in the air. We're only yeah. talking about three ships. That's it, period. Right. Um, if we had even a single fighter, that would change things a little bit. But those carriers are going to go out solo or either with a cruiser, and then the cruiser is going to be committed to wherever we're going. Pot- we're, yeah. There is a constant battle in in early game Stardak Noor of like round one, do I leave my home system undefended? What do I do with this cruiser? Should I yeah. move it at all? Like that. That is a big part of... Um, of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, especially when it comes to round one, has a lot to do with the fact that you've only got three ships to start with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about that starting tech. Hunter, what is the Sardak Nors starting tech? Uh, they don't have any, so there's no tech. <laughs> there's no tech Which, at all. Now, seems like it was maybe not that big of a deal. You're only one tech behind most factions, two tech behind, you know, about, you know, maybe half. It's like half and half, I guess. But either way, you're only one or two tech behind. But when people are only getting maybe between five and six tech per game, mm-hmm. being behind one to two tech turns out to be another huge, like, colossal disadvantage, right. actually. Right. Uh, based, based mostly on just, like, the pacing of how quickly you can get tech out and what you're able to do with tech. This is where Sardak nor falls apart, uh, yeah. is in their tech game. Yeah. Uh, it's it's rough. I mean, what? Like, compared to Jolnar, Jolnar right. is starting with four tech and you're starting with literally nothing. Yeah. Um, it, it just feels like, uh, especially with the fact that there are tech objectives. There are four of them. They are they're gonna come out likely yeah. in your game, and when they come out, um, it's gonna be a problem for you. And I think a lot of this a lot of this guide is like, all right, how do we how do we tackle these objectives that we literally have a huge disadvantage for? I mean, it is so sad that the, that tech objectives exist and yeah. that there is a faction With that none. can't do it, like literally just can't, and then you have Jolnar that can do it without even thinking. That is like right. basically guaranteed victory yeah. points as compared to Sardak Nor, where you are not. Right. Um, they're very much such an underdog faction just for the just for that alone, basically. Right. right. And and this continued feeling of like, ugh, we're behind on the stuff that we need to have at the beginning of the game is going to be more and more what paints our approach to, at, especially the early game with Stardak Nor, but in general, kind of what the whole scope of the game has to look like is like knowing that you start from behind. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to end behind. You're, it's not like, you know, I think of Winu as a faction that is kind of almost behind all game. You know, right. you can lock down Mechatol and you can turn things around for you, but you're still lacking any real powers. Sardignor does have a power, uh, and that power is unrelenting, plus one to all combat. Uh, it, it's it's each 
each result of your unit's combat rolls. Now, this is important to know what this includes and doesn't include. Uh, and the, the faction sheet actually sort of tries to highlight it visually, but it, it's kind of easy to miss what it's trying to communicate. But it is to say anything that a ship is rolling in combat in terms of actual rolls versus other rolls mm -hmm. is what gets the bonus. But special ability rolls are not getting those bonuses. Right. So things like anti-fighter barrage, space cannon, bombardment, None of that gets the plus one. Anything you roll for action cards, dealing some sort of, you know, dealing hits or whatever, you're not getting a plus one to any of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so it's, it's really narrow focused, and that also sort of paints the type of things we decide to get in our tech game, what little tech game we have. Uh, our biggest goal becomes how do we not lean into anything that is an ability text because we're not our faction doesn't take advantage of most ability text things. Now, luckily, we're given some tools to deal with that issue uh, because I'm kind of skipping around, but we we have uh, exotriremes as a special unit. That's sort of our basically our other ability. Um, you know, the, the special units that end up being th something you can upgrade operate as a, as another ability, and ours are freaking awesome dreadnoughts. Uh, the the main reason that they're amazing at the base level is we just talked about how the ability text is hindered uh, because it's not something we can apply our bonus to. But instead of that, we have bombardments that get to start with two rolls on a four. So right. the the bonus uh, number is baked into the unit itself, and we get double the dice from the get-go. So our dreadnoughts, despite normally being maybe something that aren't especially great because of the way our faction is structured, are incredible and are something very much worth... Uh, investing in yeah um i think the interesting thing about unrelenting like that we learned very early uh in the show is that mathematically the plus one is probably a lot more valuable when it comes to our smaller ships versus our larger ships so it is it, it is beautiful that our dreadnought that d gets maybe less out of a plus one than like a fighter does the fact that our fighters are going to hit so much better and we can make so much more of them and they're so much cheaper there's like a kind of economy to it, right? Um, but the fact that our dreadnoughts are also super awesome for this bombardment reason, and also super awesome for we're going to get to it when we talk about their upgrades, um, it's, uh, I think, the most potent part of the Sardag Noor. Um, yeah. Especially when it comes to the fact that our, our crummy units are going to hit harder than everybody else's crummy units. So yeah. we're the poor man... But, like, we're just beefier. Um, the plus one, uh, when it comes to infantry, that's also very good. We're the only one that can match Soul's infantry as far yeah. as, like, the, the hit dice itself. Yeah, that doesn't get talked about, I don't think, quite enough. But, like, we literally have the exact same. We are, you know, the infantry two of Soul has a better reroll ability. But that's not why you love right. upgraded infantry. You love inf upgraded infantry because the combat roll is such a big deal in infantry fights. So upgrading Sardak infantry is something we might consider looking into because it's it's going to be such a powerhouse thing that we can rely on. And that uh, goes really... That goes really neatly um, into them having a two-planet home system as well. The fact that we yeah. could double dock at home if we wanted and build fighter swarms or lots of cheap um, units. Uh, that's great. And I don't know, did we actually cover the home planets? Like as No. Far as uh, it? You, yeah, it's a two-planet uh, system, and your home system is convenient that it initially grants you four resources, which is a big thing we look at, especially because of like we want round one trade. 
especially with Sardak Nor, but with any faction, having four or more resources is kind of a crucial element to having a good round one. And they have a 3-1 planet and a 1-0 planet. So basically, you're never going to use the influence. It's kind of worthless to you, but you've got the resources you need to like pull off most standard round ones. Um, and yeah, like Hunter said, being able to double dock that into a, a system that can have eight production value or more if you upgrade the space stocks, that, that's big, you know, huge swaths of fighters coming out in the late game to really turn your game around. Yeah, you're like a poor man barony, basically, <laughs> at that right. point. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so the other thing to talk about is their flagship. Uh, it's a lot more of the same with Sardak Nor. Most of their things just kind of all revolve around the same idea of plus one. The Kamoran Nor applies plus one to the result of each of your other ship's combat rolls in this system. Meaning the Kamoran Nor has the base plus one that you have with everything else. Mm -hmm. But all of your other ships are increased even more. So your fighters that start on a nine and actually hit on an eight and then you upgrade to a seven, when you have the flagship there, they hit on a six. So yeah. you've got fighters, of which you probably have a lot of them, hitting 50% of the time. That is the power of the Sardak Nor in the right. late game. Right. You notice it's a flagship, so you're not getting it early. You're not getting huge amounts of fighters early. But what we're going to start leaning into is this idea that Sardak Nor is a faction that can swing really, really hard if they can survive until they get to the late game. Because they can just uh, pack such a punch uh, that, in, in some cases, uh, is basically undefeatable. Uh, right. You, you just can't stop the fleets that they bring into your system. Yeah. Um, I would say, in general, I think we've kind of gotten to a place with flagships of saying, like that if you don't have the secret objective to unveil your flagship, that it's not always the best idea to build one. I right. will say, I think the Kamor Nord does have a place in just any game, regardless of your objectives, as a defensive measure. Yeah. Um, as a like, all right, I've got a bunch of ships sitting at home, but my fleet supply isn't high enough to pump more ships in there, and I need to defend my home system. That is a great that that is a great time to build the Kamor Nord. Yeah, it's a really, really great ship that uh, I... I I love that you're saying to focus on it defensively. There's some flagships where you can do fancy tricks with them, and so people put them way out there in the open. I mean, like, Extra is a huge one. You can do really mm -hmm. scary stuff with the Extra flagship, the Ghost of Creus. There's things like that. But the Kimura Nor is very obviously, like, almost best used defensively because you can just pack a bunch of stuff in your home system, and and uh, it's going to lead a lot to your defenses. And I, I like that idea of it being something to just sit back on especially if you do right. get into a late game situation where you're like okay now i'm trying to coast for these last points and the one thing i don't need to have is to lose my home system if the kimura nor is parked above it you're actually in really really good position right um uh, i i just feel like there when it comes to utility well this is not that level of like extra flagship where we should just build it regardless or like base mm -mm, our strategy mm -mm. around it or whatever um it it might have some utility functions in like a weird situation but i think the most obvious time to use it is to defend your home system late game yeah let's talk about their promissory note it's called teklar legion and you give it to someone and at the start of an invasion combat they can apply plus one to the result of each of their units combat rolls during this combat if your opponent is the sardak nor player you also apply a minus one to the result of each of their units combat rolls during this combat which means you're basically setting sardak back to base value and giving yourself a plus one then once the combat is over you return this card to this the sardak nor player hunter 
Tell me why you freaking love this promissory note. <laughs> well, because I feel like everybody always forgets that it lasts for the entire combat round. Um, when it comes to invasion combat, that is You mean like, the entire combat? The entire... the entire Yeah, every yeah, round. Not, not one every, roll, but yeah, it, it lasts for the, in, the entire duration of that single combat. Yes, yes. Uh, it's like a morale boost, but you get to play it over and over and over and over. Um, I th- also feel like invasion combat is... That's where the most clutch fights happen so the fact that right. you can help people out when they really 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 need it um is i think my favorite thing about it um the thing that i do not like about it obviously is that it can hurt you so badly to be used against you yeah um that i do i will go ahead and kind of front load this and say that i am somebody that i pretty much only trade Teclar legion within the activation that it is needed uh, it's yep. sort of like the Barony of Letnev uh, card and that you you should use it when people need it and not before. Yep. Because if you use it before, it's going to get traded around. Who knows what, you know, you need to, you need to kind of keep it within your purview. Um, but I will say this. I promise it to people a lot. I yeah. throw it. I throw it out there. I say, hey, it looks like you're going to invade this planet um, like next round or whatever. I can give you Teclar Legion when you need that. Um, because as long as you're keeping it within the window of activation, they're going to use it. You're going to get it right back. It's just like right. a superpower you can throw out that way. Yeah. Oof. What what my favorite thing that we're kind of setting up with Teclar Legion is the idea. The only way you can trade it to someone in the moment they can use it is if they are the one invading. Right. The whole yes. thing with trade is you can't you can't trade to the defending player. Right. So you are you are using it in an aggressive uh, way. You're using it to help someone aggressing on someone else. Uh and I want to kind of drive home the point that like you are helping someone who is pulling things off on the board. We're going to come back around to this idea basically of like helping maybe the enemy of the table. You know, you, sure. you are you are you're going to make a little bit of an enemy by handing this Teclar Legion to someone who's invading someone else. But that is maybe okay because if you're if you're getting in the pocket of the right people at the table, it can end up paying off for you many many times. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to make these relationships with people who are pulling off things and we're you know we're giving them favorable trades with this Teclar legion because we're giving it to them the, the moment they need it to take an important planet now i will say this you can i mean you can try and lend it to, to people for them to use it in a defensive way but you're gonna have to do it a little bit outside of the right. window of activation but as long as you kind of you keep it secret or you leave there being a reasonable doubt as far as what you guys just traded yeah. um you might be able to get away with it it's just a little bit trickier to to help people defend themselves but if you know they're gonna need it yeah by all means throw it to them they're gonna right. ha- if they're gonna have it for like a turn it's not that big of a deal yeah uh let's talk about their faction tech and the one we've already talked a little bit about was their base units their exo triremes but their exo triremes upgrade uh the big thing to note is it gains an extra movement to move two. uh it gets the normal dreadnought thing of direct hit can't be used on it but the biggest thing is this extra ability that exo trireme two gains and it's after a round of space combat you may destroy this unit to destroy up to two ships in this system uh, so it's sort of like the yin ability, if you're familiar with that one, where mm-hmm. you can devote a destroyer, kill something. But the big, big thing with this is the fact that it says you destroy two ships. Meaning, if you destroy one Exotrireme 2 and your opponent is Muat with two War Suns in the system, you can kill both of those War Suns in one little go. And you get to pick the target. You destroy uh, the two ships. So you're targeting down two huge capital ships to take out 
uh, from contention. It's a ridiculously powerful ability. It can be used offensively, but it's even better defensively. Uh, it's it's kind of you'll see lots of people talk about Extra Trireme Two as the like you have to get this to Sardak Nor because it's so good. We're not going to go that far, but it is something that you cannot discount. It's going to be incredibly good, and you have lots of reasons to be building Dreadnoughts mm-hmm. throughout the game, so it's not a bad idea to be upgrading that thing. Its issue is that it's a Dreadnought, which means it's blue, blue, yellow upgrade, so that's four tech we have to research just to get to it, and depending on the objectives that come out, that can become a tricky puzzle. Right, and it's not so utility-driven that it feels essential. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to need to do over the course of this guide that we're going to lay out. And Exo Trireme, I think, sits kind of just beyond essential. But in games where you can get it, it's going to help you. It obviously helps with control objectives because of the bombardment, which you kind of already have anyways. Um, But also, it is kind of the easiest way to score stuff like um, destroy their greatest ship. Like it's literally right. an odd. Op- like, do that. <laughs> and, and I feel the need to know whenever we have an objective that might be easier for you to score because you don't have a lot of easy objectives. Yes. So remembering that, hey, if I draw that secret objective, maybe that's a reason for me to go after Exo Trireme 2. By all means, obviously, that's yeah. that's the way that you're going to need to play Sardak Noor. Um if you don't have that, if there's not a lot of control objectives either out there, maybe Exo Trireme is a little win more this time. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like yeah. Def- defensively, we already have the flagship if we need it. If if we need to lock down this game in the late game, the the flagship is there, and we don't have to research anything to get to it. We can just get to it. So yeah, yeah I I just I, and I'm sorry I'm kind of coming out a little early based on that, but people get really really excited about Exo Trireme too, and I want to just make sure everybody understands that hey, Exo Trireme one is really good too. Um, right. And like, let's let's get the really important stuff done first. Yeah, uh, their other faction tech is called Valkyrie Particle Weave. It requires two red, which is already the signs of a bad tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then. Outside of that, it's actually a really great tech. Uh, after making combat rolls during a round of ground combat, if your opponent produced one or more hits, you produce one additional hit. It's important to note that this is uh, better defensively than it is offensively, technically. Mm-hmm. Essentially, if you think of it in terms of a one-on-one fight, if a person invades you with one infantry, they will literally never take the planet. So you force other players to find a way to bring more ground forces to ever have any attempt to take any of your planets obviously it can be decent uh to to use against other people but uh it, it is most effective defensively because you can you can stall out people being able to take your plants so that makes like the fourth time one of our abilities is actually better defensively than it is offensively right right but also the problem of valkyrie particle weave is going to be tech path wise it's yep. not it's just not going to be on the agenda i would say in general that one of the worst secret objectives you could draw as Sardak Nor is both faction tech. Yes. You're just not, yeah. that's not going to happen. We just yeah. talked about how Exo Trireme 2 is almost out of your reach just by itself. And now you're going to add in the idea that you also need to get two red tech to then get Valkyrie Particle Weave. It is literally seven tech to get your two faction techs and you haven't fulfilled two upgrades. You haven't fulfilled, right. you know, two, you, you've barely done two tech and two colors unless you've skipped to try to get there, you know, faster. So it's, it's, it's just a really, really slow uh, tech path to try to pull that off. And, and Exo Trireme 2 beats out Valkyrie Particle Weave every single time. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So if you draw, if, if you draw, have two faction tech, you, sorry, you just wasted a command counter. You got to get rid of it. You right. have to get rid of it. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk about something that isn't talked about enough with Sardak nor uh, how many commodities you have. You have three, which mm-hmm. is, a, I mean, we call what do we call it? Like the average amount of com- commodities. Sure. It's a good right. amount of commodities. Two, two sucks. Four is like you feel kind of rich. Hakan's its own thing. But three commodities is good. And Sardak nor is a faction that needs to constantly remind itself that it has three commodities. Right. And also we're going to spend those three. There's this really good Francis Ford Coppola quote where he's talking about <laughs> He's talking about how he spends his money because he's like, he's trying to make movies, but he's doing it in such a brash, like crazy way that he said, uh, uh, when I have ten thousand dollars, I can I can spend it like it's a million dollars, right? Because he's just th- he's just risking it to yeah, such an extent yeah. and doing such ballsy stuff with the mo- with the money that he has for his movies. This is like obviously we're talking seventies Coppola, not like today Coppola, <laughs> not like wine Coppola. Um, but I want you to think that way about these three commodities. Spend them like there are six commodities. Like yeah, thro- like really, really get the really, really try and get you yourself involved in the trade game. And we'll talk yeah. more about that as we go. Yeah, well, and, and that's kind of the overview of everything Sardak Nor has got. Um, so let's start trying to get into, uh, obviously, we try to cover round one. Uh, I, I want to drive home the fact, we, we always talk about round one strategy guides, and I, I think that round one strategy guides are decently important, but I don't want people to think that we believe a game is made or broken by a round one strategy. No. And that's why even this time around, in our first round guides, we kind of gave you like a pecking order of like, this is the best one to get, and then this one, and then this one. And we have a little bit of a ranking here for these strategy guides, or these strategy cards, but I don't want you to think that there is always a best thing. There are always circumstances that will lead you to needing a specific strategy card. So when we talk about these, we want to talk about what you should be doing depending on what strategy card you end up getting because we can't tell you just like yeah get tech and rely on your whole strategy being that because sometimes you don't get tech so what do you do in that situation so let's run down the line hunter what do we think about leadership as a pick for sardak nor um i don't hate it uh it's it's like middle middle to top i would say uh maybe that like third or fourth slot depending on what other people pick um the idea that we're going to start building as we talk about each of these strategy cards is early game. We are just trying to solve the problems we can solve basically. Um, And with all of the resources that we have in front of our, um, in front of us at the beginning of a game of Sardak Noir, we want to see like, what can we use to kind of wiggle out of this bad start? Um, leadership is great. It's going to get us command counters. We, we would love to get ahead. We're literally starting either behind on every resource in the game or just equal to everybody else. Um, so command counters, um, are smart. Let's take them. Let's not, let's not try and do a bunch of crazy stuff in round one. Let's get some command counters so that we can save them to go and have a better round two. Sardak Nor is a very like slow round one into better round two kind of faction. Yeah. It is definitely. not a, oh, I have enough things to like pull some crazy stuff in round one and then in round two not be completely screwed over. You will get screwed over if you try a bunch of fancy stuff in round one. Don't. Don't get cute. Just pick leadership, get the command counters, bank them, um, and move into round two. Yeah. Basically. If if you have leadership, what is your most important uh, secondary to do? Uh, the the main thing being, we usually talk about tech and warfare, and if you're doing both, or it, usually you can't afford to do both, so right. you need to pick one. Which one would you do if you have leadership? Okay. So 
I'm going to put tech as number one. Obviously, again, like 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 we opened this section, a lot of this is conditional. Um, yeah. But I'm going to say tech is pretty obvious. We're going to want to get, we're going to want to overcome our tech problems and kind of start working on the tech path that we're going to lay out right after this section. Um, warfare, we need fighters. We need to get more plastic on the board. Um, the condition here, and it's a pretty big one, is what I want to do is get involved with trade round yeah. one without spending any plastic without without having to move a trade ship out, um, and I want to be able to make enough money to make all of these investments seem worth worth it. Yeah. Which seems like a lot to do. That's too much. That's too right. much to do. Right. So do not fall into that trap. Pick one or two of those things. Do those things, and then just move forward into a solid round two. You're gonna have a way better round two than a than a round one if you take leadership, especially if you take it a little slow and maybe you know bank a command counter or two, basically. Yeah. yeah. When Hunter says trade ship, he's talking about the idea that like, okay, we've got this cruiser, it's got movement two. I can go park it above an equidistant planet or adjacent to someone's like home system or whatever, adjacent to wherever they're sending their fleet, and that will make me neighbors with them, which means we are now allowed to trade. A lot of people send out that trade ship to whoever has the trade strategy card, you establish a relationship. Sardak Nor is in this weird situation, like we talked about earlier, of having basically no extra ships, so that cruiser is not something we can easily just send out to the middle of the map so that we can go get two or three trade goods. That is not worth the investment. Uh, we, if But if you can get someone to come to you, then, yeah, a lot of your context changes. Right. Um, let's quickly talk about diplo diplomacy uh if if you're noticing a trend we are we've we've heard your backlash we don't like to talk about diplomacy very much lots of groups are not afraid of diplomacy um but we don't consider it something you should do round one it offers too much to the rest of the table um I guess with with diplomacy, the one thing to note is you do have those four resources at home. Uh, if you had a great system outside of home, yeah, okay, maybe you go do that. But the argument always comes back to everyone else probably gets to do it better than what you get to get. So we're basically not recommending diplomacy. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. And and it's to your relationship to the rest of the table as far as like they're they're literally getting a better start than you. Why would you help them either keep up or exceed your start? Yes, we don't right. need to give them that. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. Uh, Hunter, tell me about politics. You're politics, into it. Politics is my probably number one favorite uh, round one pick for Sardak because it kind of fits into my philosophy of the early game for Sardak very neatly. It gives us a lot of different things that are useful. So we get action cards. One of the things that I'm going to like basically suggest is that when you get action cards as Sardak Noir that you basically act as a mercenary with these cards. We yeah. want to take cards that are useful and sell them to other players. It's like, I'm going to I'm gonna play this card on your behalf. If there's a Hakan in the game, forget about it. We're going to, yeah, we're just, just show them to Hakan and just right. be like, please give me money <laughs> for this. What do you this. want? Yeah. You need the money more than you need the cards. You are a yeah. pretty simple faction when it comes down to it. And we're not going to be doing a lot of sneaky early game stuff. Yeah. If we fix our problems by the mid game that we don't need the cards we're going to be we're going to be great we're going to be solid um right. so the action cards are great that's a valuable resource um either and and you know what i like it could be a situation where you get an early flank speed that then helps you overcome your mobility problems the early game i'm not going to act like that's not a part of it as well it's just there's a lot of action cards in there that are very sellable yeah. um the other thing is a speaker token uh 
I, I'm not even so much suggesting like, oh, we need the speaker token going into round two. No, no we've got so many problems that we do not need that. We are going to sell that to our neighbor and get some money for that, for sure. That is yeah. that is my favorite thing about it. And now, when this, Hunter talks about selling that uh, speaker token, what he's referring to, I think we've confused people uh, because we're not getting to visually show what selling a speaker token really looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big idea is, no, you, you can't trade the speaker token. You don't get to give it away. But right. when you play sp- politics, part of the ability is deciding who receives receives that speaker token so the whole idea of selling it is you can look to the player that's sitting to your right meaning they could become first in strategy order making you only second not a problem at all in most cases you can say hey i will choose you to be the speaker instead of choosing myself if you give me something that's what we mean when we say trading the speaker token we're not really or selling the speaker token Mm -hmm. it's not an actual transaction outside of what the other person is giving us but us giving the speaker token is not technically a transaction right um so anyways i i just wanted to interrupt that for a for sort of a, a breakdown of that the my favorite thing about selling the speaker token to start at round one too is what one of the problems is that hey we need to we need to make some extra dollars uh because we have an economy problem a pretty major economy problem round one yeah. um how do we convince someone to send their ships to us to trade with us because we don't want to do it, right? We have a plastic problem. We need to get more plastic on the board. If I have politics in the speaker token, generally speaking in most metas, now I can already smell the pushback I'm going to get on this. (laughs) um, Generally speaking, you have the speaker token, so you have the leverage, so they are going to have to come to you in order to trade with you. And that is the the ideal situation that we're looking for. So politics kind of helps us get started on a lot of problems that we have. It gives us some action cards that we can sell for trade goods, and it gives us a speaker token that we can sell for more. And you know what? Even if for some reason they don't want to buy it from you, which I don't know why they wouldn't be down to give you some ducats. Right. Um, <laughs> it, let's say they're not. Well, hey, at least we're at least we're first pick, pick round. round two. Like right. At least we can pick exactly what we need to kind of like go whatever direction it is. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So let's (laughs) talk about construction. Uh, We've kind of put construction here as like a a middle of the road. It's fine. We're not going to get mad at it. Um, But there's a, there's a couple different ways to think about construction. Uh, The biggest thing is Hunter earlier, you mentioned having two space docks at home. Isn't something that hurts us. We we don't mind it. Um, But even more importantly, if you're able to go take a good forward planet, right away and then put a space dock on that planet having a solid forward dock one of those three resource planets that you can put a space dock on that is even more ideal and and it's a positional thing and that's that's really the theme of our round one and two is yes we're trying to improve our economic standing but more than anything we're trying to do that without sacrificing any uh, positional advantages right right so having a forward dock allows us to in round two immediately start reinforcing in the middle of our slice we're able to put things not just way tucked back behind in our home system but out there in the field ready to get work done round two and three yes um and i i think the thing about construction is a lot of times you don't really pick construction so much as you just get stuck with it in the last spot and really what mm-hmm. i'm trying to say is that when that happens at sardak it's not that's not the worst thing right um, right to to happen uh for a forward dock makes a lot of sense for you um you can always think about double docking in the home system uh and depending on how your slice is set up you might want to do that uh yeah. and then pds is just going to help you through the early game uh not look like somebody to be messed with because right. honestly in spite of your plus one you look like someone to be messed with like early on you do yeah. not look that scary really at all 
There are a lot. Yeah. There are a number of factions that are going to have the mobility to mess with you in a way um, that you don't want, and that that PDS is going to help it just be like, all right, so I am I am safe from any early aggression, basically. Yeah. Um, this is kind of where we're starting to, I think, show more of our hand of like what why we our philosophy on Sardak, which is. Yeah. Uh, some people propose like a really early intense plastic advantage and like, hey, forget about tech. Just go all in on spending every dollar you got on more ships. And that would, in theory, fix the things we keep talking about, right? More plastic on the board means we don't look as weak in our slice. But it's that positional nature of it. The fact that like, okay, we could get money, but then we're just sending stuff out and then we're just building it at home and then not increasing our tech draw, which is you know something we have limited time to deal with. Uh, that is sort of the issue with all these things. So when we now start talking about trade, trade is a really weird pick for us uh, yeah. because we've talked already about we don't want to send our cruiser out as a trade ship because it, it already sacrifices some of that plastic that needs to be being kept close to home uh and you know we want money but we don't want money at the expense of position we don't want money at the expense of increasing our tech gain so hunter you've called trade here a conditional pick it's not necessarily bad but it's not also an automatic grab can you kind of yeah. Give me more info there. Yeah, I think what it comes down to, uh, we can just, there's just a lot of different scenarios you can kind of paint where trade in the hands of Sardak round one is not enough to solve their problems. Yeah. Um, essentially, if you take trade round one with Sardak, it needs to be because you're confident that you are actually going to make a lot of money out of it. And because of the plastic problem, our ability to get neighbors like is it's we're very limited in that yeah. way. Um, so if you're like, let's say, I don't know, there's a couple different, like really easy examples I could throw out there. Like, let's say there's a Hakan at the table besides you. Um, they're probably just going to completely cut past you anyways. And there's probably nothing you can do about that. I mean, obviously you can just decide to like not refresh anybody. Um, but even at that point, it's a con They're They're probably going to be just fine. Yeah. Um, and even maybe not trade with you because, Hey, now you didn't like refresh everybody. A lot of times what we're looking for is I want to be Sardak Nor, I want to have the trade card, and I want to have leverage. And that's a lot to ask, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that leverage point is is actually kind of a huge deal. The factions that are great with trade round one are the ones that have leverage. And Sardak Nor, you just don't have any, so you may not be able to bring anybody to the table right. um, with trade. Sometimes it, it can work out, but but you got to start that conversation before you even pick the card. Yes, you yes. got to know that people are going to be your trade partners before you even get in bed with that being your strategy, and that they're willing to make the positional yes. commitment in order to make it, it make sense. Like let's say let's say there's like a ghost in the room. If I can get that ghost to send, a, yep. you know, a ship all the way over to me or whatever, then yeah, sure, we're fine, we're golden. Let's go for it. That sounds right. like a great pick. Yes. And that, that is going to solve a lot of our problems because we're going to be able to invest in tech. We're going to be able to do secondary of warfare and get mm -hmm. some fighters on the board. That's great. But if you're not confident that that is the situation you're going into, either because of the meta or because of the factions at the table, I don't think... I guess what I'm saying is I don't think three three trade goods is enough to fix your deal. I would right. rather get... I would rather get a lot of other things done, basically. Yeah, yeah. If you know you can get the seven or eight trade goods, then then trade's great. But it, 
we're trying to make sure everyone focuses on the idea that we're trying to have a reliable round one and two, not right. a fancy, let me go do crazy stuff round one and yeah. two. That's just not how Sardak gets to operate. Yeah. And speaking of fancy and crazy, let's talk about warfare, because warfare is when people let their magic Christmas land hats go crazy. They, they come up with all the wild things that they can go accomplish. Uh, and we have to remind everyone that when we have warfare, we still lack on plastic we still lack on those fighters mm -hmm. and everything like that so hunter if we have warfare what are what are we doing with it we're well we're gonna spread ourselves too thin i i don't it's weird to say this because everybody warfare is traditionally one of the better strategy cards for any faction mm -hmm. but i just feel like with sardak you can't you just can't make it work you're gonna yeah. You're you're going to move out with what you're going to have a, a carrier and maybe send your cruiser out too far too close. We're not going for Mechatol. Let's not yeah. let's not kid ourselves. We're not going for an early round two Mechatol. You can't take the heat of that. Yeah, yeah. Like it it would literally require basically none of the other factions to give you uh, any guff about it in order for it to make any sense. Right. Um. And yeah. So I mean, like. It just feels to me like we can't take advantage of it, so let's not go down that path. Just let just let somebody else take that heat. We're tr we're trying for a slow start into like a more solid mid game. Yeah. So yeah, don't get ahead of yourself. And yeah, I'm I'm a pretty strong advocate of. I would probably take warfare if for some reason I was last and it got to me. Like you know right. what I mean? Like yeah, I would take it over imperial scenario. or diplomacy, but that's never going to happen. So it that doesn't just let somebody else take it. Yep. Yeah, I I, I want to kind of really drive home the idea of yeah we have a plus one and and people seem to think that that means they can they can push for early advantages or whatever. Um, but if you think about it with that starting fleet, it's okay. Your carrier goes from hitting on a nine to hitting on an eight. Yeah. But when it is faced with someone who decides, oh, you took that equidistant from me, and I actually really want it, I'm gonna come in with a carrier, two fighters, and maybe a destroyer or a cruiser. I'm going to absolutely be able to take out that carrier. That right. carrier is not a threat at all. So the only way you can move aggressively with those units is if you can get lots of units out immediately. And that's just not something... What you do when you do that is you sacrifice your tech game. And we are very much not proponents of ignoring the tech game. Tech is something... There are too many objectives that can come up. If you And not just objectives, but upgrades allow for more mobility we're going to talk about that a lot more when we get into tech paths but you're not getting upgrades just for the objectives you're getting upgrades because they're going to allow you to do things you wouldn't normally be able to do and that's pretty crucial to your mid and late game right. so spreading too thin with warfare is dangerous if anything if i have warfare with Stardagnor, i'm kind of just trying to play it close to the vest anyways uh, if if i have got three systems adjacent to home those are the only ones i want to take i don't want to go take adjacent to mechal i don't want to go take equidistance i just want to build up a nice little home base um and i i, I was wondering hunter if you think there's kind of some validity in not even worrying about using warfare in that way but instead like okay we keep talking about this fighter problem can we use warfare to build at home first action build some fighters a couple other ships you know basically spend our four resources right out the gate mm -hmm. and then lift and move out there's some obvious glaring problems with with that idea despite again it giving us that plastic advantage we so desperately want well that's an interesting idea uh i think the one of the main problems is production-wise, it actually doesn't work, right? So we're we're actually wasting a dollar if we do that. 
Because yeah. we, can, we can only build up to five. Right. So we're going to spend $3 for six fighters. We're only going to get five fighters. Yes, yeah, we don't want that. Right. Um, and then we just got a buck left over that, what? Well, I mean, we're probably not going to be able to spend on anything. Um, yeah. So so in that way, I, I really, really don't like it. The other thing is that if we if we have warfare and going into round two, the likelihood of us getting tech is like zero. That means our tech game is going to be very, very, very slow. Yeah, if we don't get yeah. a single tech round one and we have no shot at getting uh, ex- executing the tech primary round two, that's awful. Um, yep. And that is that is definitely not what we are advocating for. We are not going for that, like, ignore tech, just do plastic. Right. Because it's almost impossible to win. How are you going to win the game now? If a single yeah. tech object, if two tech objectives come out, how are you going to win? That's right. that's so wild to me. Yeah. Uh, similar, too, to diplomacy, warfare, if we rely on a strategy with warfare that doesn't allow us to stall warfare, we're having more of that problem of, hey, we've just unlocked everybody else's abilities yeah. way more. Yeah. We've given everybody else more, and that's just set ourselves even more further behind. Right. Uh, we, You know, if, if, if lifting warfare is our second, or if we're somehow able to make it our third action, almost everybody is building extra fleets at home that are going to help them expand more or do more or whatever. And that's certainly not the the thing we want. Sardak Nor would be the kind of faction where you only really want warfare if you have a reliable way to stall it out all the way. But as we've already said, doing it that way means you're probably spreading yourself really thin. So it's just a catch-22, no matter how you cut it. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about what is obviously kind of the top get mm-hmm. for Sardak Nor technology. Yeah, technology is great. Um, it it just lets us it lets us do a couple of the things that we need to do. And that that's why, I mean, my favorites are tech and politics because it feels like they both get a couple of different things started for us. Um, obviously, we get a tech. Um, we are going to be... We're gonna have the money left over to like secondary off warfare for yep. possibly what another carrier, some fighters that would be dope. Uh, yep. More fighters and a cruiser that would be cool too. Depending on the timing, uh, you're gonna have to just play that one by ear. But the fact that we're gonna get a tech and some more plastic that's wonderful. Um, yeah. Now as far as the idea of oh well, what if I get uh, I'm able to trade and double tech round one? Uh, that's a little bit scary. Because like yeah. I said, we have a plastic problem, and the idea is to solve more than one of our problems in the round. Um, so yeah, I believe technology does that, and I believe politics does that most effectively. The rest are all a little questionable, um, with trade being super conditional. Like Trade could shoot up to that third spot, yeah, absolutely. depending on what type of table we're talking about. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a Hakan and Ghost at the table and your first pick, trade might be a, an amazing pick because that's like two right. people you could be guaranteed money from. You could make out like just absolutely like a bandit. But that is purely conditional. Uh, the last one, which of course we're not going to break down, is Imperial. Imperial is a basically a useless get uh, in round one, and so don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but let's let's talk about going into round two and the kinds of things that we're focusing. We sort of hinted at some things with each of the different uh, strategy cards, but the biggest thing is we're going to break down a pecking order later. But the thing I want you to mostly focus on in round two is how are we going to start accomplishing the economic objectives? Yes. If any are already up, then we want to start seeing how those are going to be accomplishable, uh, and if any aren't. Maybe even still start planning for some economic objectives that come out and then also setting yourself up for other objectives. But a big thing with our strategy with Sardaknor is focusing on economic objectives first. Yeah. 
So we are we're good at fighting. That's basically that's the whole thing with Sardak Noor. Um, sometimes people talk about Sardak Noor like you need to go for the control objectives first. Uh, I feel like it's the other way around. We're good at it. Why do we need to focus on it? Let's get yeah. the let's get the slow, easy ones figured out while we still kind of need to be slow and easy. Yeah, they're uh, almost a euro. You, you you have an engine builder you're working yes, on right now. Yes. And that engine builder is going to score you those control objectives in the late game, right. not early on. You're going to screw up your engine if you go for it too soon. I agree. Um, and yeah, just the plastic problem, we need to, we need to solve that first. Um, another thing that is important that I have pretty much seen almost every single game I've seen where someone won with Sardak and every game that I've won with Sardak, um, at some point I double teched and generally speaking, it was in the early, maybe mid game at the latest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we are gunning for taking technology and researching two tech for sure. Um, round two, I think would be ideal. I mean, honestly, my favorite opening is politics into round two, I take tech. And I like yeah. sell the speaker token to somebody that's not going to take tech round two, right. and then right. I get it. All of that, that would just be the Heaven. ideal start. I got a yeah. little bit of money. I got a little bit of plastic. I got a lot of bit of tech, basically. That's yep. the idea. Um, other things to think about, a forward dock uh, for Sardak is, I think, super important. Uh, double docking is cool. What I would like to be able to do is have a, a slice that feels secure because we are going to start talking about gumming up the works with Sardak. Um, yeah. I, I am very much a fan of using Fighter 2 to kind of make Sardak slice more secure. Um, so a forward dock is obviously going to help with that. It's also going to help for any kind of ambitious like mid-game control objective stuff that we might be going after. Um, and the other thing in round two is to like really start wheeling and dealing if we've got yeah. action cards we're talking about trading them if we've got you know we're trying to get involved in trade as much as possible even if we're not taking the trade strategy card yeah. if we're not we still want to you know give favorable trades let people you know throw your three commodities out there for two whatever you got to do yeah uh, just stay involved and get a little bit of money we're trying to get a little bit of everything basically yeah, the, the big thing is that you you started with not enough plastic. Hopefully round one, you fixed it a tiny bit. Round two, you're really trying to fix that uh, mm -hmm. and using using trade to, to make an effort to fix that. Uh, I think within the first three rounds, if you haven't taken tech once and you haven't taken trade once, you're probably falling behind. Yeah. Within the first three rounds, those two strategy cards are really great to get. Yeah, if anything, basically, like Hunter was saying, politics into tech into trade round three that would be awesome. is like completing the trifecta of all the things you should be focusing on you're mm -hmm. focusing on building that engine you're making friends uh you are not going out and being hyper aggressive on anybody because that's the way to lose a trade partner and we are not worried about that right now we're trying to get all of our economies active and online and in, in a way where they run themselves yeah yeah um and yeah just kind of as we go because i mean every game with Stardack, you're gonna feel even if you're not spreading yourself thin, you're just going to feel a little thin. That's just how it's going to work right. out. Um, but let's just be conscious of like where we're putting our ships. Let's let's be defensive with how we use the cruiser that we start with, um, yeah. for instance. If if I I kind of waffled between moving the cruiser out and putting it in a spot where it's like, hey, you 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 can't get to me because you'd have to fight this cruiser first. Right. So you're just not going to bother, basically. Um, those types of moves, but also just like leaving the cruiser at home in yeah. order to like respond to an attack. That was something that I uh, would do the first two rounds. But in general, a lot of times people would say, hey, Hunter, 
round two, you you seem kind of thin. What's up? And right. it's just because I'm focusing on a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, you're probably not going to feel very safe until round three, which right. is which is another reason why this is very much not a Mechatol Rex early yep. Sardak that I'm describing here. I yeah, don't know what that would take, important. but yeah, that, that is that is not what I'm ad- advocating for. Well, okay, so we've we've set up this Sardak that is is actually incredibly focused on trade and in, and focused on being a buddy. Uh, especially, you know, with what one neighbor, both neighbors, what, who are we wheeling and dealing with specifically? Um, so it's basically, I mean, it's basically whoever we can get to. I mean, we're just going to be, we're, we're going to get involved with Trey. We're going to be shameless about it. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't matter if we're overfeeding somebody or if the table is really upset at so-and-so, they don't want you to trade with them, whatever. No, we're going to trade with whoever will trade with us, especially those that are willing to come to us and not make us come to them. Again, positional positional um considerations are very important for sardak early game plastic is very important like we don't want to we don't want to lose any plastic we don't want to give up any uh solid position we we want them to send their trip to us to trade not the other way around so we've we've made our slice safe we are we are feeling a little bit more comfortable uh but we are still sort of behind on tech and we can't forget that we we do not have enough so let's start talking about tech paths and i think the biggest and most important thing to to know here is we have to not make any wasted buys. Every single tech is hugely important. If yep. any tech path matters, it is Sardak Nor's tech path. So, Hunter, uh, we kind of have set up the the basic building blocks for almost any and all tech paths, and then we let them break out from there. But what are what are the must gets if we're going to call it that? I ca- they feel like must gets to me. Yeah, but I, no, I they if feel you that agree. way to me. No, that they feel that way to me. Um, neural. Right away, it's it's yeah. got to be neural round one. Um, sorry that I, <laughs> I basically won't ne- I won't negotiate on that because, like I said, we got to get a hold of every resource as like that we possibly can, and action cards are going to be one of those resources that we're going to focus on. We're going to yep. focus on selling them. We're going to focus on using them the right way. Um, yeah, like neural got to be right yep. after neural. I want to do anti mass. Um, and then from anti-mass, I want to go into fighter two. Uh, anti-mass obviously is only important for getting us to fighter two. Right. Um, we're not worried. You know, we're not worried about the other things that anti-mass does. But um, fighter two is great for a lot of reasons. Um, it's a the probably the most efficient uh, upgrade I feel like you can get for Sardak Nor, and that fighters are cheap, and now they hit really good. They hit crazy good. They're right. ridiculous now. Um, with our plus one that we already get and the plus one that you get for having the upgrade. And the other thing that we want to use them to do is make our slice safe. We want to gum up the works, essentially, early game with Sardak to make sure that nobody is trying to hurt us um, because our plastic is... I mean, I'm, I'm basically admitting that if you follow this guide, you're not going to have as much plastic as everybody else going into round three. Like, I yeah. guarantee that's going to be true. Fighter 2 is going to make it so that that is not that big of a deal essentially the, right. the only the only weakness with this is uh through the silence of space and if someone is using that on you early game you just i mean you got trolled whatever yeah they had you, your number <laughs> i can't do anything for you for that um yeah and then after fighter two kind of gives us that utility um that structure we want to go into grab drive so that we can start being a little more ambitious ourselves with what um with what objectives we're going to achieve basically yes 
Yeah, I, I love this decision to go Grav Drive after Fighter 2 mm-hmm. uh, because for so many other factions, it's like, hey, the fastest, faster you can get to Grav Drive, the better because that's going to allow us to start doing stuff. But Sardak is not about doing stuff early. It's about avoiding attention and making friends and building up to where we finally will have a plastic advantage later right. on. We will right. get there. We're not going to just be behind all game. It's just these first couple rounds where we're trying to make sure everything gets online. The neural thing, I, I think there's going to be plenty of people who think Starween Tools is a great way to start with Starting Ignore because, hey, it's going to feed into uh, Exo Trireme 2s. Starween Tools is an extra resource every time we build. That's more plastic. That's fixing the plastic advantage, isn't it? The issue is... Our tech path is so tight and so rigid, we we can't, we're not going to go too blue, too yellow, right? right. That That's yep. not really the path we yep. want to go down in almost any situation. Too blue, too green is the optimum way to go. We If, if the only tech we got at all was up to Grav Drive and then up to Dax of Animators in green, and then we got Carrier 2, Infantry 2, Fighter 2, that's it. We're done. And all of those are great, and they feed into everything we're trying to do. That's like the basic uh, version of this now right. that's still not even actually quite going to be what we're going to recommend but that is what you do if two text in two colors comes out that's that's the path you end up having to go down right but for us we're trying to accomplish something different but that neural first gives us not just utility but like hunter said it's a different kind of economy you can make more than one or two dollars per round off of neural motivator it's entirely possible to make that happen uh so we finish neural anti-mass fighter two and then grav drive if we don't have any tech, let's ignore tech skips altogether. Hunter, where do we go from there? What is our next path if we have zero tech skips? So if we if we have no skips, uh, we're going to go for Carrier 2 um, because it combos very well with uh, with Fighter 2. And also, again, it, it all just comes down to mobility. And if we've been building fighters in the first two rounds, we're probably going to need carriers to move them all around, huh? Yeah. Uh, and then from that, we go to Sarween and then XO2 basically yeah um, and people are that, gonna scoff at that because that's a late 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 grab of sarween tools and that's not <laughs> ideal this, in most cases right this is if this is if you have no skips uh, we would love to skip sarween obviously um and in fact if we did have a yellow skip the path is literally just carrier two to xo2 and then yep. it all honestly doesn't even really matter what else you get because we kind of got all the main things that we want right um, but the thing about xo2s is that if we can get to them, we want to get to them because they're late game killers, basically. Yeah. They're just like, once we get to the point where XO2s come on the board, that's going to be the thing that helps us really scare people in the late game. It's a it's a good deterrent. People don't want to have to fight against XO2s because, they, because you get to assign the hit, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's really potent in helping us get uh, some of the action phase secret objectives figured out, basically. Um so yeah, we we and carrier two. I feel like maybe I need to justify that one a little bit more. It's really just about uh, capacity. I love uh, I love the ec- economic deal of having fighters that hit really good. We yeah. don't need to be spending a lot of money on any individual thing with Sardag. I'm thinking we we upgrade to carrier two and we just keep those two carriers that we've got out they can come back one of them can come back home load up with fighters and now we've got a really awesome fleet basically yeah well and the other thing too is we're setting up our tech path kind of perfectly showcases the way our game goes right neural to fix some problems into fighter two to secure our slice with a plastic advantage into carrier two and exos to 
punch to to okay now is when we jump out there and go do stuff and hit really hard and and make our presence known on the table but not before right we're not rushing to carrier two we're not rushing to exo two we're getting everything else established first and then in that late game being unstoppable Mm -hmm. because you you are very stoppable up until that point right Um, uh to talk about other tech skips if you have a green skip uh, that's that is a great situation to be in. Green skip gets really weird uh, because hypermetabolism is always very good, and if we start with neural, it's really tempting to want to get uh, hyper like right away. Uh, you may end up wanting to get hyper right after neural. I don't hate that, Hunter. I think you still really want to get fighter two right away because that plastic advantage is a pretty important and big deal. It depends. I mean, I think the variable there is. Because obviously hyper is better the earlier you get it, the, yeah. the more command counters you're going to get. And obviously we have an economy problem like that we could use those command counters. Um, I think the problem is imagining a game where you feel so safe that you don't, that you've been able to prioritize tech and get a green skip that you're going to be able to spend as a skip and not for any dollars. Um, and then also you're not having a plastic problem. That just sounds like you're going to have too many problems in right. order to do that. Um, yeah. But hey, you know what? If it happens and you just end up making a lot of money, um, early game, maybe it's the right thing to do. Uh, right. I, I, I don't think it's impossible to be good. I just think going for fighter two as quickly as we can is like the safest play. Basically. Yeah. And if anything too, I, because we want to focus on that first, there's a part of me that wants to just ignore hyper entirely, uh, entirely and just use the green skip to get infantry too. Right. Um, this is actually sort of one of the only situation this and having the objective two tech and two t- colors come up is really the only situation where we actually really want infantry to uh, because your infantry are already great and you don't necessarily need to upgrade them. Oh, for uh, sure. The difference here between soul is soul starts blue green. You're like always getting infantry too because it's right there. It's like it's handed to you. It's right. not handed to Sardak nor, but if you have the green skip having infantry that hit as good as your infantry two are, you know, if you're, if you're hitting on a six, uh, that's, that's quite good. Um, so it, it is worth getting if you've got the green skip, if you don't have it, I don't think I want to make the time for it because I would rather work towards getting exo triremes. Um, and then let's talk about, well, let's talk about blue skip. What do we do with a blue skip? Blue skip is interesting because we can go, we can get fighter two so much faster. Now we can get uh, neural into fighter two. And what's cool about that is we probably, we don't even have to take tech round one or round two then. Right. Um, we right. can probably, we can kick tech down to round three or even round four. I feel like with a blue skip provided yeah. the tech objectives don't hurt us. Um, but yeah, neural into fighter two into Sarween into grav drive into carrier two and then finally exo two that's a lot of tech um, yeah but that's and what i that's what i dislike whole... about that mm-hmm. is what we just described that neural fighter two sarween grav drive carrier two exo two uses that blue skip four separate times yep that's yep. a lot that i mean that's spending five tech every single time you do it like the the what you gain from skipping anti mass four times actually probably isn't that much. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the biggest reason why the blue skip always kind of ends up being actually the most lackluster because it right. what it gains you isn't that huge of a deal. It's worth considering that basically. But I think there's a world where you do neural into fighter two and then you still then go get anti mass so that you don't need to keep using the tech skip for other stuff. I don't know that obviously that that has different trade offs and it depends on what you're doing after the right. fact, but. I don't love using the blue tech skip every single time I use tech. Right. I, I will say this. I think 
uh, we're not even really going to talk about the red skip uh, because yep. it's so bad. Uh, I think the yellow skip is obviously my favorite in order to skip Sarween into XO2. That's very clean. That's very good. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I don't really care too much for any of the other skips. Like, I mean, no. they're definitely in the order that we talked about them, yellow, green, and then blue, and then absolutely no red. Yeah. Um, but yellow is like number one by a lot. And then there's a huge gap until yeah. green basically yeah, yeah the, the the funny thing about a red skip is okay do we talk about valkyrie particle weave well we would get plasma and then we would skip majin to get valkyrie particle weave right that's the idea well plasma mm-hmm. our dreadnoughts already roll two dice yeah is it really that much better to roll a third dice on a bombardment no it's a bit win more it's not necessary uh that is also not improving uh, the, the the plasma scoring is going to improve space cannon, which is not an ability that takes advantage of our unrelenting faction ability. Mm-hmm. So not especially useful. Plasma is kind of mm, half useful for Sardak Nor. Uh, and at the end of the day, any red script uh, red skip is either a zero four planet or a one three. The extra command counter is more worth it, yep. no matter what, no matter how you cut it. That ex- that that extra command counter, the round you would be using it as a red skip. It's better as a command counter. So that's like the number one reason we just, we're not making the time for Valkyrie Particle Weave. I hear a lot of people groaning. I agree Valkyrie Particle Weave is a cool tech, but in a 10-point game, it's not going to happen. Uh, try try it in your 14-point games. Right, right. Um, Maybe. <laughs> and then I think, I think our last path to talk about is kind of the like, well, what if the tech objectives come out really fast? Um and if that is so, then we're going to do the kind of original one that we described, which was Neural, Anti-Mass, Fighter 2, Grav Drive, and then Carrier 2, Dax of Infantry 2. We yeah. don't want this, by the way. This right. is, not this is a lot of tech for us to have to get. Um, we're not, we are not gunning for this. What I hate about this one is we don't get the idea that we're getting XO2s after that. Oh, boy. Like, yeah, no we're, way are We're you probably there. not getting that as far as we just described. Um, in a single game of Sardak Noor. But that's why, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think my favorite, um, my favorite path for them would be to avoid one of the tech objectives, because I don't imagine I'm going to reliably get to avoid both of them, yeah. and then basically cobble together like a Fighter 2, Carrier 2, XO2 kind of setup, yeah. basically. Yeah, at the end of the day, the upgrade objectives actually aren't that bad for you. You're going to mm-hmm. get... Ideally, you will get the three upgrades, whether it be it'll be Carrier 2 and Fighter 2, and then it's either going to be Exo Triremes or Infantry 2. You're going to yeah. end up with three upgrades. Right. It's it's the spread yourself thin in the different colors of text that is really, really tricky for you. Yeah. Uh, I like in the two and two colors scenario, you talk about infantry being last. Uh, that's another way to reinforce the idea that like, hey, we need to focus tech. We are not getting the tech for the bonus to combat. We right. already have the bonus to combat. We don't care about that at all. And we're not in a situation with Sardak where our home system is in such a weird, tenuous position where we need the reroll from Infantry 2. That doesn't do that much for us. So Infantry 2 is just a cool late game upgrade to get because the two and two colors came out and all that. You'll note we're not getting the two and two colors until our second to last tech. Daxiv is the second to last tech that we get. Mm-hmm. We are holding out and we're just scoring two and two colors pretty late and we're trying to focus on all the other objectives that are at the table first and knowing eventually we will get to two and two colors and we'll score it then right and if, and if there's a situation where you can't do that yes fit dax of event somewhere earlier it's okay to do that if you know that the route to get the objectives in the order you have to get them isn't going to pay off 
Yeah, I would say if if you felt like we just threw out a lot of different stuff at you too quickly, um, if you if you want to just simplify it in your head, it's kind of to me neural anti mass fighter two, and then even like honestly, grab drive is even right. debatable after that. For me, after fighter two. Do what you need to do. You know what right, I mean? Right, I mean, don't absolutely. do anything crazy, like go down red or yellow. We're staying <laughs> in blue-green, okay? And if the only yellow we're going to grab is Sarween, and it's only if we absolutely have to. Um, but yeah, stay in blue-green, get Fighter 2. After that, you can kind of remix this stuff however you need. Um, yeah. Don't, you know, do not sacrifice a point uh just to do it in a way that feels more efficient. Like, no, yeah. if you got to grab Daxiv for no reason other than to score the point, do sorry, it. that's the game that we're playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's start transitioning into uh, a little bit more talk on the trade. We talked a lot about trade, but we really mm-hmm. talked about it specifically from the focus of like round one and two and how desperate you are for people to come to you. But let's talk about once we actually have like a decent board position, we've got plenty established neighbors the wormholes are helping us whatever we've got like four neighbors and we're feeling okay at the table with our uh plastic presence you know we're talking round four ish right now what does trade look like yeah so uh i may i make a lot of promises when i play sardak um i have (laughs) sold i it's a fire sale when i am playing (laughs) sardak Uh, i have sold sabotages to people i i i I sold a sabotage to a jolnar for a research agreement after I'd already gotten them to sell it to me like three or four times, basically, which yeah. is that, that is a wild, that is a very, very wild uh, scenario that is probably not going to happen to you very often. Um, but the way I was able to get to that wild scenario was just having this attitude of everything, everything I have is tradable. If I need yep. to give you my political secret, whatever, if I got to give you my, you know, Oh, here's my trade agreement for this thing right now, whatever. Um, right specifically we want to talk about making sure that we're always taking advantage of teclar legion um right i at one point i had probably promised my teclar legion to like half the table basically <laughs> um now and what we're looking for is the prompt like so as far as teclar legion goes because i'm not going to just hand the card over to somebody we have to kind of devalue it a little bit right so like they don't have a hundred percent um faith that they're going to get teclar legion because i'm not handing it to them but i'm still going to promise it to them for like what like two trade goods whatever i'll hey promise i'll promise it to you for one trade i'll promise it to you for whatever because i need the money okay yeah yeah. the big thing too is every single time anyone attacks anyone else's planets you get in there you are an annoying annoying this okay so a lot of this strategy is based off of hunter you saw that the game with schroeder yes playing Sardak Nor. And and that's what we are thinking like. We are thinking like a used car salesman. We'll sell our left leg to get a little bit of cash to make the next sale and keep moving on, right? Yeah. So so every time someone goes to attack a planet where there's going to be a ground combat, hey, do you need Teclar Legion? One trade good, two trade goods, one trade right. good per planet, right. whatever it is, get in there and always be talking to people. Uh, don't forget, again, you have three commodities. It's good. That's a good amount of commodities mm-hmm. to get stuff done. You can mm-hmm. get two to three to four trade goods per round, depending on who you're negotiating with. Right. Uh, you, you can move that money around really, really well. Yeah. Uh, Hunter, you're talking about the ACs. I love the idea that we are not committed to using our own action cards mm-hmm. that is the opposite of how i usually think about action cards but it is exactly in keeping with like what sardak is trying to, to pull off which is like i don't want to look like the crazy guy 
at the table. I don't want to look like the guy who's got a big hand of action cards and everyone goes, hey, wait a second, what's Sardock? What, what are they plotting over there? I, I don't, I, you know, you don't want to be feared until the moment you finish your engine and you turn everything on. Right. So selling off the action cards, being the buddy, means people just stop thinking about you as a threat in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're making everything favorable, right? I mean, you're just you're you're trying to make everyone look like they're getting the better end of the deal. It's it's that type of situation where you just need to make the trade happen. If you have yeah. to sell something for less than its value, sorry, like you right. you gotta basically. Um, so yeah, I mean, get it out there, be, be very, very, uh, sweet when it comes to like commodity trades and stuff, wash people for free, do whatever, do whatever it is you got to do to build up a lot of goodwill and do as many deals as possible. Um, one thing, uh, one thing that even came up, well, and actually I'll bring this up later, but, um, I would say specifically think about trying to make friends with the the scarier factions. Yeah. Jolnar, you have a very obvious relationship with Jolnar in that Jolnar struggles to take planets with their weak, weak infantry. You have Teklar Legion that totally solves that problem for them. They have research agreement, which is going to help you get a bunch of crazy tech that you would not normally have access to. Yep. Do it. Go for it. Give it a shot. Uh, wheel and deal with Hakan. Be Hakan's little henchman and just yeah. do whatever Hakan tells you in order to get some of their juicy, juicy trade goods. Because yeah. when you are, like, Hakan needs to get fed in order to be a good faction. Right. If Sardak gets fed, that's game over for everybody, basically. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the idea, is whenever you're doing deals with people, you kind of, as long as you can solve your disadvantages, it's turning it into an advantage for you, basically. Yeah. So... We're transitioning really heavily into the mid game. We're, we're making these trades and everything. Um, let's re-talk about this this topic of the objectives and yeah. how we are doing Sardak Nor's objective game kind of opposite of how we try to normally think about objectives. Most factions, it's, man, you got to get those hard ones out of the way because in the late game, you might not have any way to accomplish that. People are going to have built up too much. Mm -hmm. It's going to be too Mm -hmm. difficult to go get that third tech specialty or that fourth planet trait or whatever. You know, those positional control objectives can be really, really hard late game, but you can make opportunity strikes early. Sardak Nor is absolutely the opposite. Flip it it on its head. Um, And you also can't, obviously completely sprint for tech objectives you just are hoping the tech rolls out at a decent pace and then eventually you're able to get them which means the only thing left to focus on right there at the beginning of the game is economic objectives right um spend eight resources spend eight influence command counters all the little spendy bits we're gonna go after those they're peaceful um hopefully they're attainable we're we're basically just going to go after the easiest objectives we can without losing any plastic i think my goal with any sardak game is to get to the mid game without having lost a single oh that would just be great to never have any fights basically until it's time until we built our engine and we're ready to just do it we're ready to go for it so yeah skip the more difficult ones go for the easy ones um Go, hopefully the tech ones won't come out until about the mid game when we can score those, but keep those in mind and try and take tech. I mean, hey, take tech twice if you got to. Take it twice yep. in a row if you have to. Burn right. an early uh, political stability in order to keep tech twice in yes, a row. Absolutely. Early game. Like that is my favorite play as Sardak Nor. Yeah. Is like political stability is the one that's gonna get sabotaged in the late game if you're keeping Imperial for the win, right? right. Everyone's someone's gonna burn the sabotage on that. But if you're just Sardak Nor in round two, looking to keep tech for round three, everyone at the table goes, Yeah, he's Sardak Nor. It's fine. Forget yeah. about it. L- yeah. Let let them have it. And then you just banked two rounds worth of getting tech 
uh, double teching. That's right. amazing. Right. Uh, you you are focusing on a strategy where you stay centered and grounded, and uh, round three and round four, that's when you start building lots of units. So that yes. going into round five, time to hit, right? That That's right. what we're looking for. Round one and two is just sort of like, hold on for dear life. Let's make some money. Let's prepare to build lots of units. Round three and four is build, 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 build. And then round five into round six is go get the control objectives now that it's your last chance to do so. Yeah. And possibly even, I mean, we should talk about Mechatol Rex now. Because okay. what's interesting about Sardak Noor is, yeah, um, I am pretty firm on the... We are not taking Mechatol Rex first. We are not getting nope. the custodian point. I'm sorry. There's going to be somebody that's going to write a thing saying, no, you should. You need that point or whatever. Right. I, I just can't. I can't imagine how it would be a good idea frequently. You know what I mean? It would have to be a crazy situation. But what we are set up really nicely to do is we are like a really solid uprooter that's yep. like good at ground combat. Right. We are, if you have played this correctly up until now, hopefully if we have exos by like round five or round six, we could probably make a play for Mechatol in the late game. Yeah. And that's probably how we catch up on the, all those points we did not get in the early game because we have yes. such a bad start. Right. Yeah. You want a really solid swing round and it's great if that swing round can include Mechatol Rex. If you're if you're round two and three drawing a couple extra secret objectives so that in round four you take Imperial, you take Mechatol Rex, score a point off of that, score two stage ones of like the tech ones you've been waiting on or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's three points in round four to bring yourself back up. You might feel like in round you know two or three that you're falling behind the pack, but if you get that round four Imperial or or whatever it is, that can bring you right back into the fray. Right. Uh, and it's too late in the game for people to really now dive on you and Mechatol. Someone might be the person that makes a, a last play, but the the person that most often gets jumped on a Mechatol is the first person to take it. If you're the second want to take it sometimes it's no longer worth the investment to go get it from you mm -hmm. especially if you have three upgraded sardak infantry or three infantry and an exo trirum two above it where they have to send way too many ships to just be able to take out that fleet at all exactly. uh, it's incredibly you're really good at hitting somewhere hard and then staying there and locking it down right after you've taken it in the late game right and yeah, I mean, I just want to re-emphasize, because uh, I said uprooter before, and I, I realize some people maybe haven't kept up with that term. Oh, right. Um, you, because of Ecto Trireme's awesome bombardment, which we don't even need plasma scoring for it to be very good, we, we have a lot of potential to um, uproot even like an Arborek, if we right. catch them at the right time, a soul, right. like those people that like take Mechatol and just sit on it, and they yeah. have it now, we are scary to those people. In the right. late game, if we've done this all correctly, if we've gotten our engine going, we can be that. Now, yeah. we can't if we don't, you know, if, if, if we don't focus on our economy, if we focus on control objectives first and we stretch ourselves way too out, like we're, we're it's just not going to happen this way. So you have to play really careful early on. And then once we get into the late game, then things can really start to change, basically. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing we were, we kind of left on the table, Hunter, you, you were talking about this, but give me more of that idea of being the friend of the enemy of the table, because this is when this really starts to come into play here. Oh, sure. So so the idea of being uh, a friend of the enemy of the table is that your priority when it comes to trade is so important that 
I would be willing to trade with the devil, basically. If, if, <laughs> if there if there is someone at the table that's just like, everyone is like, no, we are way too scared of that player. Nobody wants to trade with them anymore. That's a perfect situation for you because what we are recommending is that you trade a lot, but you just don't have any natural, um, you have no natural leverage over anybody. Yeah. So that is a situation where you do actually get this weird kind of leverage. And I did experience a really awesome game where I had leverage over a Joel Nar player that nobody else wanted to trade with. And I was just like, yep, going to be your little buddy, going to help you do everything. And my trade right. game was completely, completely insane. Yeah. Uh, and it made the late game a lot easier because I mean, once you get to the late game, if you have this tech, this economy, it's crazy how dangerous you are. Basically yeah. everything yeah. flips. You, you can be, that person can be your neighbor. The Jolnar can be your neighbor and you're boosting them and boosting them and boosting them. But if you're getting enough out of it on your end, you can be the one to crush that leader. You can go stop them in the late game and prevent them from winning and earn yourself a win. Like that, that is actually a pretty plausible scenario for Sardak to be in where it's like, Sardak, quit feeding Jolnar. They're going to win like this round. And you're like, okay, that's fine. Because now that I've made lots of money off of them and built all these awesome ships, I'm going to go dunk on his home system and right. there's like nothing he can do to stop me right um that that is sort of your your big thing let's talk about this late game this this set phasers to kill mode and all of the things that are coming into play to make that possible we, we've we've covered all the the mid game things that lead to this point but what are the actual like tactical plays we're making in the late game to pull off these maneuvers we're, we're trying to use xo2s uh we're using the kimura nor our flagship maybe mm -hmm. either as defensively or maybe it is going out there to go take that one last planet or whatever but what hunter what do your late games your final rounds look like as sardak nor um so it's a lot of i'll kind of i'm going to use this opportunity actually to kind of summarize uh our entire game as far as early into mid into late this is, this is essentially what I feel like an ideal Sardak plastic um, and position is going to look like. So we get to fighter two. We spread the fighters out to gum up the works um, because this is an early game and we're, we're not very strong. Um, we get carrier two. Those fighters kind of coalesce back um, around carriers. And now we have like fighter swarms with maybe like a dreadnought or two out there. We get Exo-2s. We throw some more Dreadnoughts out there. We've got a couple Dreadnoughts forward, either taking Mechatol or taking some very high-risk um, control objectives. Uh, I haven't mentioned that because we're so good at bombardment, we're really good at uh, not turn their fleets to dust, uh, the bombard the last yeah, yeah. ground force one. Sure, um, that I one. Think that, <laughs> I, just, I like to mention the objectives that are easy for Sardak because so many yeah. of them are hard. Um. And essentially, what we're looking at is a faction that has a really easy time reinforcing their home system once they like kind of have everything locked down. Where I mean, we're talking fighter swarms to sew kits. We're talking XO twos to just straight up destroy their fleets. We don't even have to win, really. You know what I mean? We like we don't have to hold positions anymore. We just have to destroy the fleets that are coming to take our home system from us. Um, the flagship is interesting because I think I think it is just kind of like a weird option up in the air. Uh, I I don't feel like it is solid enough to throw it out and it be forward um, that often because like let's say oh I don't know an Exo's flagship with Graviton. Well now the, now our fighter swarms are not helping. Um, there's also the L1 flagship to consider stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so. Just be a little bit careful with the flagship, but I think defensively it's it's freaking awesome. 
it just sitting there above your home system with a bunch of fighters that is such a solid defense yeah um and it doesn't even that's it's pretty cheap too right bunch right. of fighters you can have eight and six fighters above it and have a really almost unstoppable fleet sitting there right um what i like something you did in one game and this is just the thing to con- consider is you uh you had warfare in like around five scenario or something like that and you built the flagship in the round you were going to use it yeah things like that are, are pretty if you've set up this grav drive all these things you're able to pull off those kind of maneuvers and that's the stuff you're looking for this is the you're looking for one round where you get really fancy mm-hmm. one or two rounds right. uh so uh we yeah it's it's all about economic then tech then control to finish out the game with a a wonderfully secured home system that nobody else can go get in the way of uh really restricted tech game blue green maybe a sarween to get extra trireme twos and that's it the the tightest game of twilight imperium you've ever played the tightest and safest game uh you can imagine is how you pull out a victory with sardak nor yeah um and i will say this uh a lot of this strategy guide was inspired by uh schroeder's semi-final game in our first patreon tournament which is yeah. um if you want to watch that uh we can actually throw a link in the description but also if, you, if you're just looking around our youtube page it is the first game of the semi-finals it's game number one um and schroeder does it's I, like i rewatched it for this uh episode uh he doesn't even he doesn't even quite play it it's not like he was playing to this guide i mean obviously yeah. he didn't the guide just exists now but um what i mean is that he even does things that I don't necessarily agree with 100%, but just the style of it, I feel like works so much better for Sardak Nor than so many of the other things that I've seen. Um, coupled with, I think it's just become very standard for Sardak Nor to have to take tech and do double tech at least yep. once or twice. Yeah, um, Those sure. are the things that I've seen other people do that led to them winning the game. And honestly... I basically executed this strategy um, a couple times exactly the way that I've laid it out, um, and I, I I won two games in a row, which was great. One of them one of them was a really wild kind of maybe worthy of an asterisk um, <laughs> win, <laughs> but uh, but it's it served me well. Um, and I would say playing Sardak Nor this this way also was just like enjoyable, like yeah. more fun than it was um, playing. I don't know. Trying to just focus on plastic, I feel like can be so sad uh, yeah. because you're you're playing risky with a faction that gets really punished when they take when they take risks. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that is the biggest thing. Is this is not this is not a mat kind of faction. I am super risk prone. I love doing things and being going for the hardest objectives first. And and I'm looking forward to playing a startup game where I force myself to to go with your mentality here, Hunter, because I think it's going to be a good training wheels game for me to understand like how the other kind of pacing works. Cause it's something that I don't employ enough. And this is the world where you can actually do that. Um, but like we said at the beginning of the guide, most players, when they first pick up Sardak Nor in their first game or whatever, they think this is the warmonger faction. I got to go be mean with it. And it's not about that. It's about punching hard in the late game. Right. Uh, and, right. and I, I, I've seen you win with it. I mean, twice so far. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily wrong. <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about where we could be off the mark. Let's do some some. We did pre errata, yeah. which yeah. is where we send out the request for everyone to talk about the faction ahead of time, so we can get ideas contrary to our own. Uh, there's obviously a really big glaring area 
of our uh, guide and Jasper took the time to talk a little bit more about Valkyrie Particle Weave mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a bit stat driven so so be prepared to listen to a bunch of numbers but I'm going to I'm going to try to read through this because I think it paints a really good picture of what Valkyrie Particle Weave can do and why like I said earlier for at least a 14 point game I actually do think uh, it can be a really fun way to pull off a late game. Uh, I believe Valkyrie Particle Weave is one of the best techs in the game that is almost never used. For obvious reasons, of course, one of them being called Mage and Defense Grid, and the other being Starting Technologies None. The strange thing about Valkyrie Particle Weave is that it acts a lot like a unit tech would. It makes your combat abilities better, but it takes up a space in the red tech path instead. Let's see how effective it is by running a battle calculator in a scenario where you're facing what he calls a Yin Party Bus, a carrier with four upgraded infantry to invade your planets and then two influence to turn it so basically yin invading with five infantry the test here is to see how many ground forces you would need before indoctrination to make it an even fight uh so i'm just going to run through their numbers with all factions you would need seven infantry one to withstand the attack of four incoming yin infantry uh for any faction with uh, uh, the, the spec ops or Sardak, it's, you need six for just like standard Sardak nor or soul upgraded factions. Uh, if you've got your infantry upgraded, you actually still need six. You just have slightly better odds, but it doesn't turn it into needing only five to make it above 50% chance. Basically, uh, anybody with a PDS and Majin on the planet only needs five infantry one, but Sardak just with Valkyrie Particle Weave alone, and Infantry 1 only needs 5. So you are better than any soul infantry, uh, any faction with PDS and Mage and Defense Grid. You, you by far have the most defensive planets out of anyone. If you somehow could luck into Valkyrie Particle Weave and Infantry 2, you would, by a pretty ridiculous landslide, have the best infantry in the game. Uh, it's incredibly defensive and incredibly good. Uh, so we don't want to balk at that. It's just like Jasper even points out, starting with no tech and having to go through Mage and Defense Grid is a huge turnoff to that being viable. Not to mention, we actually don't really want to use red tech skips uh, to go this way. But I'm, I'm glad Jasper was kind of able to showcase what Valkyrie Particle Weave is actually capable of because I, almost nobody gets it, so you just never get to see it in action. Yeah, this is uh, this is great pre-errata because actually, I mean, I don't disagree with anything he's saying at all. In fact, he's giving us a lot of really solid stats. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's not it's not in the tech path. That's the problem yeah. is that it's... You, you are so restricted to relying on a, a, a very, very optimal tech path that you just can't afford it's... to go do fun stuff. You don't get to go do fun stuff. Right, right. Nor. You got to do the normal slow stuff. Exactly. You can't get fancy. It's like it's green, blue all the way uh, unless we're in Magic Christmas Land. And we all know in Magic Christmas Land, there are no rules just right. <laughs> right. Uh, this next one is from Vaughn. And I actually don't, have like a quote to give from font we had a long conversation on the discord uh and i think vaunt was even teasing the idea of like drafting up a really big write-up so if anything if we ever see you know vaunt's ultimate guide to sardak we'll be sure to add it to this podcast episode uh we'll be sure to share it because i think vaunt had some very very different ideas although he agrees on a lot of the same sort of rules of Sardak. That being like tech is, you know, you gotta be optimal with tech. You gotta think of your your kind of somewhat weaker start. Although he he has an argument for why the start isn't that bad. But I wish I had a, a more uh a, a strong quote from Vaunt, but there's something to Vaunt's idea that 
you actually could focus on units early, take a slightly wider slice than you normally would, not just like absolutely gutting your opponent. This isn't like uh, a Barony Aletnev that just stomps all over their neighbor or something. This is a, ooh, I take one or both equidistance or something. I get a little bit bold. Then I sit back on that, defend hard, and then start trading really heavily in the mid game. I say, yes, I'm taking the equidistant, but hey, now let's be buddies. I think this is a, a, a strategy that is funny that it's coming from Vaunt because that is kind of Vaunt's whole thing is like mm -hmm. very, very diplomatic. I, as a player could not pull this off. I know that this wouldn't work because I can't take an equidistant and keep a friend. That's right. not how right. a game works for me. Vaughn is the type of player who could, you know, make some sort of case for that happening and then have a perfectly good trade partner on the other side of it. When I go take Aaron Amir and the equidistant, we're doomed. Our relationship is over and everything is now you pointing your guns at me, which is why we don't want to go for that kind of stuff. So Vaughn, I'm sorry I don't have like a perfect thing uh, to kind of encapsulate the way you're saying it. I know you were trying to accomplish saying a lot. Uh, and so we definitely look forward to, and I encourage you to, to definitely write all that down and, and give us give us your notes. Yes, please do that, actually. Like, I, I would love, I would, I, I think one of my favorite things about doing the guides is getting uh, the, like, other takes, the second yeah. takes. Um, and this is a very specific guide. This is not like a open, loosey-goosey um, guide, because I feel like it's not an open, loosey-goosey faction. But if Vaunt has another path, I would yeah. I would love to hear it. I, I will I, say I, this I from because I want to respond to it a little bit. Yeah. To me, it feels a it feels like we're talking about accomplishing too many things. Yeah. Whereas I feel like with Sardak Nor is kind it the way I've experienced has been like okay, we can't do we can't do everything at once. So essentially, this guide was me saying like here's kind of the order I want to yeah. think about doing it. Basically. Right. Well, and I think the big thing too to note is Vaunt was a finalist in the in the 2019 Patreon tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an incredibly good player. Maybe he can pull off really bold maneuvers. We're trying to write this guide as a more toned down, like any new player could pick this up. I don't think any new player could pick up Vaunt's strategy and do well with it. Sure. That's not to say Vaunt's strategy doesn't work. It's just that you have to be a player like Vaunt to be able to do it. And we're trying to make a guide that is a little bit more approachable to anybody to get their feet wet, to For get sure. started. For sure. As you learn more about Sardak, you're going to figure out when you can make bold maneuvers. But hopefully this acts as just a good starting point. Yeah. And uh, if you want to if you want to see what we're talking about, you can always just watch the Patreon finals again. Like if you right. want to watch the Patreon tournament finals, <laughs> I mean, I can't remember any moments off the top of my head, but Vaunt does some pretty wild stuff in that. Yeah. Isn't it? It's Vaunt that kind of goes from like... Vaunt almost wins. Yeah. Va Vaun, Vaun is one dice roll away from winning the finals yeah. in, in that game. Spoilers? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Wow. <laughs> we're, yeah, you we're should well have seen that. it. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you should have seen it by now. Um, or, or if you haven't seen it, maybe that's the thing that finally gets you to see it is you heard a spoiler. Um... <laughs> That's hey. how spoilers work, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's how it works. Uh, so let's uh, talk about Packs Unplugged. Uh, I yeah. guess we we kind of opened with it, right? Yeah, we, we kind of opened with it, but let's reiterate: we're going to be there, and we want to see you there. Come and chat with us. Uh, we're going to try to make our way to the finals, wherever those are happening. I don't even actually know. Uh, Should have prepped that, but somewhere at Packs Unplugged, you can you can definitely search it. I know you can search it on the Packs Unplugged website. When you search for events, it pops right up. If you search Twilight Imperium, uh, we're going to go check it out. 
We want to talk to people there. We want to see you. Uh, we are not specifically doing coverage of it, though. Who knows, though? Maybe we'll do, like, an episode about it after. I don't know. We, we, we are, like, completely leaving everything up in thin air in terms of what we want to do and get out of PAX Unplugged. So, yes. Um, let's do, do we want to do the rundown? Is rundown I want to do time? the rundown. Yeah, do it. So, uh, how about you rate us on your podcast app of choice? Uh, th- these guides are kind of our biggest bread and butter, but we do all kinds of other stuff. And if you like the TI stuff or you like the Dune stuff that we do, please give us a five-star rating and, uh, you know, talk good about us. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Space Cats Pod. Uh, we give game updates. Uh, you probably saw multiple updates this week about how late this episode was on our Twitter. That's a place to keep updated with when things are going wrong. Uh, <laughs> Facebook, you can find uh, uh, announcements, things like that. You can also message us on Facebook Messenger uh, at the Space Cats site, and I will typically be there to answer uh, rules questions or just weird little things like that. Uh, you can find us on Twitch and YouTube. Hunter is like kind of more or less streaming full-time-ish at this point. Uh, and you're working on streams Saturdays, Sundays. You've got one this Sunday, right? So I have I have one for this Sunday with uh, some newer players. I've kind of set up a little dojo and I'm teaching, <laughs> uh, I'm teaching some of the people that are going to be playing in uh, this coming tournament. Uh, how to be like comfortable playing Twilight Imperium in TTS and also just getting them a little used to the tournament. So it'll be another tournament mock mock game. Um, I guarantee you I will stream it. I won't guarantee that it will end up on the YouTube. We'll see how it goes. I have a yeah. lot of games just kind of sitting in a file right now that I could upload to YouTube um, that I can just kind of d- pick and choose and decide which one I want to edit and throw out. But I would expect uh, another stream, another YouTube video next week, um, and possibly some weird streams throughout the week. I actually meant to do a lot of that this week, yeah. um, but I did not end up doing any of it, basically. Um, <laughs> there was a thing that happened that i can't talk about yet that ah, i just realized I, I can't talk about it until oh i won't even be able to talk about it next week it'll be well, literally cool be stuff a, cool a stuff cool got thing. in the way and someday we'll get to talk about it very cool so look thing. forward to that hey meanwhile you can talk to us on our board game geek guild uh that's boardgamegeek.com slash guild slash 3103 uh we're trying to boost that up a little bit more it's getting there we'll see uh hey join our patreon that's uh that's how everyone got into the tournament that we're going to be covering next year. Uh, I don't know if we need to do a little bit of a, a update on like the tournament. There's a lot of people that signed up after the fact that we haven't sent invites to uh, because those invites have now basically become automatically go to the wait list. Uh, so I think we do still need to do one last wave of that and then we're cutting it off. And I want to be really clear that the people that are getting in this last wave it's not especially likely Hopeful. that you're yeah. you're high enough on the wait list to get there. Sure. We've gotten a decent amount of people already on the wait list. I won't call it impossible because I have no idea what 216 people who signed up for a tournament in October. I don't know what that looks like in January for some people. Yeah. We had drops last year. We'll see. But I just don't want to guarantee anyone anything. But, uh, you know, we're, we're moving into tournament season at the end of the year and, uh, and uh, things like that, things like our Galactic Council votes uh, on episodes, Space Kitty episodes, lots of ways to interact with our content through our Patreon. You can also interact with us on our Discord uh, for just some fun conversations. That's also where you can get a few of your Patreon benefits. Um, I want to throw something out uh, when, it, when it comes to tournament signups. Um, do we think for cutoff, you think next Tuesday? Does that sound fair? Ba- yeah, basically, I think next so. time you hear from us, that'll be the cutoff. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, November twenty sixth. That's that's it. If you're if you're not in before November twenty sixth, that's we're we're drawing the line there. Yeah, and even then, it's not like you're in a great position on the waiting list to to, to get in there. It's a little 
man, did that fill up fast. That was yeah. like the biggest surprise of my year. Uh, well, was yeah. <laughs> It'll be no, we. It will be different next time. Um, yeah. Because yeah, we we just did not realize that that many people were just waiting in the wings, re- ready to get in on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll say if if you feel like rolling the dice at this point, I mean, it's it's just a dollar, really. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's, right. That's right. that's that's all you're throwing at it to see if you can get in. Um, but yeah, we do have we do have quite a few on the overflow at this point. Um, my name is Hunter, and I'm a comedian. And uh, the the thing that I can't talk about is comedy related, and I'm very excited about it. Um, and it will actually you you will if you pay attention to our social media and stuff, you will see it uh, next Wednesday is when it comes out when the uh, kind of embargo on it is uh, going to be lifted. But I'm forbidden to speak of it until then. Um, it's not you know it's pretty cool. It, it's it means more to me than it will probably mean to you. You'll be like, wait, why is that such a big deal? Why was there right. an embargo on that? But anyways. Um, <laughs> I'm a comedian. I do comedy in Portland, Oregon, and I've got a really good show that I got to tell you about. My One of my best friends in comedy, Alex Falcone, is having a going away show on Sunday, which is like, what, just a couple days uh, from now. Uh, <laughs> and it's at the Helium Comedy Club, um, and it is on Sunday, November 24th at 7 p.m. Uh, tickets are $12, and um, there's still a few left. The, the sales have gone pretty good, um, which is to say... If you've never seen me do comedy live before and you live in Portland or you're going to be in Portland this weekend, this would be a good opportunity. This is not going to be like some silly little show. This is going to be like a good, solid, great show. Um, And then for the final weekend of November, um, I am going to be doing the Ha Ha Harvest uh, Festival, which is a super cool Portland-based festival. I've got a couple shows to throw at you real quick. Um, the day passes for the Ha Harvest Festival are $29, and the festival pass is $49. Um, here are my shows, though. For Friday, November 29th, I'm going to be on two shows. One is called Comedy Cornucopia, which is the one that I'm hosting. That is like just me and a bunch of really professional, awesome comedians. That one is super cool. That is at Siren Theater, um, at, and that show starts at 6 o'clock. Uh, the other one is called Synchronous with Me, which is a very weird like synchronicity walk thing where we basically like walk through the city and we roll dice and it like tells us to do things. It's a very weird show, super cool. Um, that show is at Kelly's Olympian and it starts at 10 o'clock. Those are both Friday, November 29th shows. Saturday shows, I'm going to be there um, at, back at Kelly's with Dumb and Busted, my true crime comedy podcast that I also do. Um, and that show starts at 4 o'clock. Uh, at Kelly's, Dumb and Busted, super cool show. Um, and I'm going to be back on a podcast I've been on a couple times, once with Matt, um, called Spec Script, that is also at Kelly's. Uh, that show starts at 8.30. Both of those shows are on Saturday, November 30th. And final show on Sunday, Forgotten Fantasies, which is a show where we basically just like watch like old forgotten media, like weird TV shows that people barely remember. Um, Beetleborgs. I might do a Beetleborgs <laughs> thing. Do you guys remember Beetleborgs? Do you remember how Beetleborgs had like that guy in charge that just looked like Jay Leno, but he was blue? He was like Jay Leno <laughs> plus like the blue meanie. Do you know what I'm talking right. about? No, I've never watched Beetleborgs. Beetleborgs is great. And uh, I was I, a Street Sharks guy. I'm going to try it. Yeah, see, Street Sharks would be another good one for Forgotten Fantasies. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a really cool show. And uh, that's on Sunday, December 1st, 8 o'clock. Um, at Kelly's Olympian. Those are my shows. Whew. 
So our time sphere just jumped ahead like three minutes, but the listener experienced no time. Yeah. And in that time, you did some really weird stuff and said some really weird yep. stuff. And I had to cut it all out in post. And yep. now we're in this weird time I'm, flux. I'm and sorry, I'm Matt. drifting away. I'm sorry, I'm Matt. Falling, I messed up. And I'm falling. I messed up. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're in the time skip now. Um, I uh, So j- just to let everyone know here at the end... Um, this is my first recording of the day of uh, seven recordings that I'm doing today. So uh, without further, uh, goodbye. You know what? Uh, not like, no, oh, we're going to find some bit and go out on a high note. Nope. Gotta go. Here's the equivalent of me basically hanging the phone up on you, the <laughs> listener, right now. Uh, click. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>